0: Good morning. Let's uh, pray as we turn to look at God's word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired your servant David to write this psalm all those years ago. We pray, Father, that your Spirit might speak to us this morning, that through the words of David's and the words that I speak, you may be glorified and that we might draw closer to you this morning. Amen. Just before I get into the uh, text of the sermon, can I recommend a book to you? It's written by a man called Tom Wright, who's quite a famous theologian. Uh, And it says, Finding God in the Psalms. Sing, pray and live. I found it, it's not a commentary of all the Psalms but it deals with themes within the Psalms that I found very useful in the preparation for today and I'd recommend it to you. Well I hope you've picked up uh, from Mike this morning uh, what the theme of this service is and that of course is a service of Praise to our living God. And this is why I have chosen Psalm 145 because it offers us up an example of praise. It offers us up an example for our prayers and our praises of God together this morning. So, good morning, Saints. Morning, yes, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, we're saints, aren't we? And we can offer up our praises to the living God. So, it says in verse 10, all you have made will praise you, O God. O Lord, your saints will extol you. And as one writer said, Psalm 145 is a defiant song of praise in a world dominated by self-seeking and self-sufficiency, including the world of the church. So I wondered, what's our praise like in our church this morning? What's our praise like as individuals? And what is our prayer life like well, as one speaker said at New Wine this year, I had the privilege of being there a couple of weeks ago, he said this, he said there's been a great improvement in corporate praise within the Evangelical Christian Church over the last 30 years or so. There's been many new songs written, there have been many new songwriters, there's been freedom of worship, And this has been one of the great attributes of attending something like New One, the sung worship. But he went on to continue that this hasn't been reflected, generally speaking, in the life of the prayer of the church. And he quoted Jesus who said, my house shall be a house of prayer. You'll note what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say it shall be a house of worship or even of the spoken word but of prayer. And the speaker went on to elaborate that through Christian history, there's never been a major uh, work of God, of revival anywhere in the world in the last 2,000 years that hasn't been preceded by the people of God in that location repenting and calling upon the Lord in prayer and praise. We know, don't we, from personal experience that prayer can be difficult So we can be thankful that the Bible offers us examples of prayer to follow. Think of the the disciples who said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. Think about the whole of the book of Psalms, which we've got to help us but we have to be realistic about this when we look at cr- modern Christian culture within our country, that we see often with evangelical churches the Psalms are a neglected resource today. Well, Tom Wright in his book says this, Finding, uh, he says this, um, I find it impossible to imagine a growing and maturing church or individual Christian Doing without the Psalms. To worship without using the Psalms is to risk planting seeds that will never take root. Well, we know, don't we, that in traditional Church of England services, we always had a song sung or read together. Because the Psalms can offer us inspiration on how to pray and praise God because these things should go together. And that's why I have chosen this psalm, Psalm 145, for us this morning. Because as you look through it, look at the number of different words that are used for praise. So we've got words like extol, exalt, praise, proclaim, sing, speak. It's an encouraging psalm for us and it should be also a challenging one. So what's the story behind it then? Why was it written? Who was it written by? Well, the commentators state that it's written by David, and the most common belief is that it was written by David as a young man upon conquering Goliath, that man that no one else would go out and fight. But not only is it a a psalm that was written by this young man, it was written in a style, what's called the alphabetical style. Now what that means is that each verse or section starts with a a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which made it much easier for Hebrew people to to learn it off by heart. And this psalm declares the righteousness, the goodness of God, First to mankind generally, then to his own people, and thirdly to those that suffer. So here we've got it then, a psalm that written by a young man having conquered Goliath. And then we know that David used the psalm throughout his life. And we know that the Hebrew people used this psalm when they wanted to praise the Lord because it's one of the greatest psalms of praise that we find in the Psalter. And so we can take this psalm as a model for ourselves. We can take it with the aim of making it our own personal adoration, as much as David did. So what does it actually tell us then? Well, let's have a look at it. Firstly, we see that it gives us an indication of personal praise. It's the praise of the author, David. Secondly, it's a generational praise. David speaks of the generations giving praise to God. And then thirdly, it's inclusive praise. All creation will praise God. So let's take each one of those in turn. So firstly, personal praise. Personal praise. David gives us an example to follow. Look at the opening statement. If you turn in your Bibles, we're on page 631. Look what David writes in verse, the first two verses. He says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. David, that young man who had just defeated the giant Goliath, he sets out the intensity of his praise. The young man that held no position within that society at that time. But look what he says. He goes on to say, I will exalt you daily and forever. David will praise the Lord every day of his life and will form a major part of his life. Now, I think this is an interesting statement, isn't it? Because he doesn't qualify it. He doesn't say this, for instance. He doesn't say, I will praise God when the times are good, or when I'm healthy, or when I hold a good position in my family and society, or when my faith is strong and secure. No, no. I will exalt you, my God and King, forever and ever. It's a statement of intent. It's a statement of commitment, of purpose. He is going to give time each day to offer up praises to his God. Well, as I was reading that, it challenged me. Surely this is a challenge to me. Isn't it a challenge to us, a pattern for us to follow? Do we start our day by praising God for who he is, just for who he is? Do we start by praising him for what he has done? Well, reading the Psalms can help here. It's a way that the Christians have been using for 2,000 years. Some monastic communities sing or say the complete Psalter in a day. Well, Tom Wright says this. He said that he heard that famous old uh, evangelical preacher, Billy Graham of the 20th century, say that he read five Psalms every day because they taught him how to get along with God. And he read a chapter of Proverbs each day, because it taught him how to get along with other people. A challenge for me, certainly. So David is going to praise God every day. And in Psalm 145, this is then extended to include a request. Let all people and all of creation praise him, in verse 21 at the end of the psalm. Such is the quality of this psalm that the Jewish people might say or sing this psalm three times a day. The intensity of their praise to their God. Well, of course, we're not David. But it is a good example to follow and a discipline within our spiritual lives. And so each day as we take time to pray and study God's word, let's be encouraged to start our prayers by remembering the very nature and character of our God and what he has done for us. David gives us an example to follow. But but why does David offer up praises every day of his life and will continue to do so ever Well, David writes, because of God's character. David makes statements concerning this. God is David's king. Look back again at verse 1. He says, I will extol you, my God, the king. This acknowledges the type of relationship that there is between the two, between David and his God. Now, the people of his day would have understood the nature of this relationship. That is between a king and his subject. Something perhaps that we find a bit more difficult with and we don't have that experience of. But if you think about what a king is and what a subject was, a subject had to come in humility before their ruler and they were subjected to his will. Look what David writes in verse 3, God is great, greatness that no one can fathom. That means the depth of his greatness. Now some people will say today that science has taken out the need for a God in the 21st century, but surely as we see the increased wonder of the world that we live in, from the largest largest point to the smallest point, we see the wonder of of God's creation and the greatness of his power. Look where we live. It's amazing, isn't it? The greatness of the God that created the universe that we live in. We read in verse 6 that David writes of his deeds, the power of his awesome works. And of course, this is a reference back to the history of what God had done for his people in the past. So we read of this in Genesis through to Exodus, when God worked to bring out the people of Israel from Egypt. Think back to those miracles that God performed within Egypt, culminating in the uh, splitting of the Red Sea, which brought them out to the new land. We read, of course, in in these passages in Exodus of God's plan of salvation for his people. Well, David acknowledged all that God has done for his people and that he will continue to declare these actions of God, so making them a part of his personal history. And as I read of this, I wondered, do we acknowledge what God has done for his people today? The salvation of Jesus on the cross to make it a part of our personal history and our personal praise. So there we have it in the first part of the psalm, personal praise. But secondly, we see generational praise of a people. Such is the greatness of God's action towards his people that it must be passed down to the generations to come. So look at verses 4 through to verses 7. It says in verse 4, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. And so as we read of the lives of the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt, we see the importance of them remembering God's actions. Think of the commands given to Israel to keep the Passover festival and other festivals. The worship within the temple was organized so that people would remember God's instructions to them. Think of the Ten Commandments given by God to Moses, who was commended to pass these on to the people, written within blocks of stone. All had to be passed down to the people. Why? So that they would know how to live in God's way. Also, so they could worship their God. Well, of course, the closest equivalent for us is Jesus' commands to his disciples and to us to keep the Passover meal in remembrance of me, until I return again a second time. What we, of course, call communion. And there's a principle, isn't there, for us to follow here today. The importance of telling the next generation of God's character, God's actions, and what he requires of us. It forms a part of that great commission given by Jesus to his followers to go and tell all people of who Jesus is, His saving actions in the kingdom of God, making disciples of all mankind. Well here, we as part of God's family, the church, have a responsibility. This is why organized teaching within the church is so important. Why we hold holiday club. Why we encourage and want active children's and youth work. So that each generation can hear of Jesus and God's promises to each one but I believe there's more to it than this. Because we can tell and gossip and chat to the younger generations of what God has done in biblical times, but also what God has done through Christian history, through revivals, persecutions, but also what he is doing now, today. I believe that's important that we just don't present to the children a God of history, but a God of today and of the future, a God who wants to meet with us on a daily basis, who makes promises to his people, and who clarified and extended these through the teaching of Jesus, to remind each generation of the promise that God hasn't yet come, the promise of the second coming of Jesus, and the time of judgment, when all will have to answer to God. And this is why it's good for us to keep up to date with what is happening within God's kingdom, where we see Jesus' promises being realised. And we can do that in several ways, one of which is by reading. Uh, as I said, I was fortunate to be at New Wine, and I heard a man called Peter Grieg speaking, who founded the 24 7 prayer mission that's gone round the world, and he's just published a new book called Dirty Glory. An intriguing title. It talks of how people have come to Jesus around the world. People from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high have all come to know Jesus. It's a way we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged by meeting others and sharing with them what God is doing in their lives. We can go to events like Keswick and New Wine and we can bring back those events and talk to each other about them. So we're encouraged to see God at work in our age, in the communities that we live. But of course, this also points us to the responsibility for Christian parents to share and expect God to be acting within their families, with their children and grandchildren. And so we have, from verse 4, a move from the personal praise to the corporate praise. They will tell of your mighty works. They will celebrate your abundant goodness. But what are they telling? And what are they celebrating? Well, they're telling and celebrating the character and action of their God. Look at verses 6 to 9. Verse 6, the power and greatness of God's deeds. In verse 7, the goodness and righteousness of God. In verse 8 and 9, the gracious, compassionate goodness, slow to anger and rich in love. And so this psalm gives us personal praise, generational praise. And now thirdly, we have all-inclusive praise. Look at verse 10. We have, in verse 10... All you have made will praise you, O Lord. All that God has made, which includes the whole of his creation, God has compassion on all. That includes the physical world. David's God isn't just a God of the people, but a God of the whole of his creation, including plants, insects, fish, and the very earth itself. And so, as followers of Jesus and worshippers of the Trinitarian God, This gives us an insight into how God views creation that he made for his glory. Many of the Psalms point us to God's creation. So as we consider the way that mankind uses and exploits the world for his own gain, as followers of Jesus and worshippers of the living God, let's consider how God may feel about our actions in the past, the present and the future with regard to his creation. And so we read in verse 10 and 11, all creation will praise you and give glory to you because your kingdom goes on forever throughout all generations. And so there's no place, is there, for saying that this teaching is out of date or not relevant to the next generation. Through the praises of God, it's people all, should be able to recognise and glorify in God's kingdom. But what else does this psalm tell us about God's character? Well, we see further promises, don't we, as we look through from verses 13 through to verses 20. Many, many promises of God. Perhaps too many to take hold of today, but maybe it would be good if we just took one of them for our prayers this week. So let's have a look at them. So in verse 13, we read, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. Well, doesn't that give us hope for us in a changing, uncertain world that we live in? Or what about verse 13b, that God is faithful to all his promises? God is faithful to all his promises. Of course, it begs the questions, do we know and acknowledge these promises? Well, David writes, he is loving, he is upholding all who fall, he is providing for their needs. Or what about verse 18? He is near to all who cry out to him in truth. What a wonderful promise that we can take hold of this morning. He is near to all who cry out to him. So if we're down, if we feel despondent, if we feel separated from our loving God, our loving Jesus, then we can take this promise for ourselves. David is speaking that what Jesus later declared, that the kingdom of God is near. We can call out to him who promises to send his comforter, the Holy Spirit, to all who come in faith to believe that Jesus is God's son because the Holy Spirit will equip us to do his will. Or what about verse 19? He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, those that hold him in respect and give him and his words the place they deserve. And verse 20, the Lord watches over all who love him. Note the condition of this promise here. The Lord watches over those who, That love him. The condition of the promise, of course, is loving him. So we ask ourselves the question do we love him? And do we give those that we know and meet the chance to love the God for what Jesus has done for them? So we've got these promises then in this latter part of this psalm. What do they lead us to? Well, they lead us to verse 21. The promise comes again. My mouth will declare the praise to the Lord. Let every creature praise God forever and ever. My mouth will declare praises to the Lord and let every creature praise God forever and ever. Now, I'm sure that my words this morning haven't done justice to this wonderful, inspired psalm of praise written all those years ago by that young man, David, after he defeated Goliath. But I believe that it can encourage us, can't it? It can encourage us that we can use the structure of this psalm as a way of bringing our praises to God. Praises to God for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Praises to God for what he is, that he is the loving God. Promises that he has made to us and for the creation that he has provided for us to live within. So let's praise our loving God. Amen.